I like to read 1 Corinthians 7, starting at verse 29, down to verse uh, 36. So 29, find that in your Bibles, and then I'll read this and pray. Verse 29, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how we can please the Lord. Um, an unmarried man is. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in the right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably, to, oh wait, not that verse, verse, verse 35, we'll stop there. That gets in a whole different section that I don't want to talk about right now. Okay, we've talked about it before, I promise. Look it up, but not right now. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this church and their patience with such difficult topics and the fact that they are um, having conversation and supporting one another. I pray for your peace uh, to come upon those who are married, those who are single, those who are restless in heart, lonely, whether they are married or single. That, that's a human condition, not just a single condition or... Um, a widowed condition. I think it's a human condition. We all struggle with loneliness at times. And I pray, God, that you would, uh, I pray for this verse to stick out to us. Um, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. And I don't think we think like that, God. I think we think um, you're not going to come back. Um, we won't be judged uh, in, the, in the new heavens and the new earth. We just kind of live how we want to, and we'll just kind of eventually die and be brought back into the dust, and that's it. But that's not how uh, we're to see the world and see life, God. So I pray you would help us to frame the world with a kind of like an otherworldly perspective um, and live our lives accordingly. I submit my mind and my heart to you and Jess, who will be out here in a second, her as well. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Society uh, seems to be set up for couples. It's instilled in our culture's values uh, leftovers from the Romantic era. It's written in our sacred text, like it is not good for man to be alone. It's codified in our language, meaning to be unmarried means to be single. So for so many single people, life can seem particularly unfair. The feeling of being alone and the reality of living alone can be heavy and sometimes even crushing. See, for most people in our society, uh, for most people, uh, for most, sorry, for the most part in our society, I'm on cold medication, so forgive me. Um, for the most part, our society has a, a category and even a place for those who are professionally single. We typically call these people vowed celibates. These people are like monks or nuns. And there are places for monks and nuns to live. It's called the monastery. And monasteries, uh, in monasteries, there are a whole ways of living for the vowed celibate that richly support and cultivate the unmarried life. So there's a category and there's a place for vowed singles in our society. It's called the monastery with a whole rich life there. And there's a category and a place for couples 
basically everywhere else in the world, right? So I don't know, you might be able to start seeing the problem here. What about single people who don't live in monasteries, who don't want to serial date, who don't want to swipe right or left, I don't really know which one it is, who don't want to engage in hookup culture, but neither do they want to live alone. We can go actually neither another layer deeper than this uh, and talk about the idea of choice. Because very few single people feel they have positively chosen their single way of life. They feel victimized into it. At least that's what I hear a lot, especially for those who are older than like 28. But married people and vowed celibate people who live in monasteries have both chosen their paths in life. Married people choose to be married. Uh, vowed celibate people choose to be celibate in the monastery. Most times people don't choose to be single. And you can even go a layer down again. Rarely can a young single person imagine his or her future to the end and see themselves growing old and dying single and happy. So there's this aching feeling that there's something that has to change about this whole situation. I do not choose this life. I cannot see myself for the rest of my life being single. And of course, you can go another layer deeper than that. Because a single life can seem great when you are single and young with a group of single friends and you're doing life together. But then, one by one, your friends get married. One writer, Carrie English, describes feelings of rejection that come when attending the wedding of friends. She writes, two people announcing publicly that they love each other more than they love you. <laughs> I felt like that landed in this room. There's no denying that wedding change friendships, a wedding changes friendships forever. Priorities have been declared in public. She'll be there for, for him in sickness and in health. Till death do they part. She'll be there for you on your birthday or when he has to work late. <laughs> Being platonically dumped wouldn't be so bad if people would acknowledge that you have the right to be platonically heartbroken. But it's not just part of our, it's just not a part of our vocabulary. However, much of our society might pay lip service to friendship. The fact remains that the only love it considers important, important enough to merit a huge public celebration, is romantic love. Now, these are all real feelings for single people. Single people that are sitting right now to your right and to your left. And there are real dangers in all of these feelings for those who are single. One danger in feeling these feelings is that you oftentimes feel like you never fully and joyfully start living your life or seeing it worthwhile until you start seriously dating or engaged with someone that you will marry. And so you're always waiting. You're waiting for something romantic, something that couples you and allows you to start your life in the real world. And another danger here with all of these feelings is that you start to panic. And when you panic, you start dating badly or marrying simply because marriage is seen as a remedy to cure your loneliness. So I think the question is, how do you show up to your life as a single person and cultivate that life in ways that channel your sexuality well and channel your spirituality well? 
In 1 Corinthians 7, I didn't have time to read the entire passage, but you can read the entire chapter when you get home. Paul says that there are two ways to live out your life in Christ in two very different but very meaningful vocations. One is married and the other is single. Now, throughout the history of the church, Christians have tended to elevate the importance of one over the other. Obviously, right now, we're living in a moment where marriage is elevated over singleness. But that's not the way it's always been inside the church. For the first 1,500 years of the church, singleness was considered the preferred state and the best way to serve Christ. Singles sat at the front of the church. Singles were given the most prominent places in church leadership and so on. But that all changed after the Reformation in, 15, in 1517, when single people were moved to the back of the church and married people came up front. The leadership was a married endeavor and so on, especially in the Protestant tradition. But we need both of these realities. We need married people and single people leading well and showing up well. And when we do that, when single people show up well and married people show up well, the love of Christ is put on display in the church in a very beautiful way. For example, Pete Scazzaro writes this in The Emotionally Healthy Leader. He says, married couples bear witness to the depth of Christ's love. Their vows focus and limit them to loving one person exclusively, permanently, and intimately. Singles, vowed or dedicated, bear witness to the breadth of Christ's love because they are not limited by a vow to one person. They have more freedom and time to express the love of Christ to a broad range of people. Both married and singles point and reveal Christ's love, but in different ways. Both need to learn from one another about these different aspects of Christ's love. See, Scripture teaches that human beings are created for intimacy and connection with God, themselves, and one another. Marriage is one framework which we work this out, intimacy. But singleness is another framework that we need to build and work out because we have a hard time building this out. Now, allow me, I want to double-click on, on the singleness framework for a second. Singleness for you may be voluntarily chosen or involuntarily imposed, temporary or long-term, a sudden event or a gradual unfolding. Christian singleness can be understood within two distinct callings. One is the vowed celibate and the other is the dedicated celibate. I think we... Um, need to reclaim this word celibate. I think it's a very beautiful, historically rich word that we need to reclaim again in our vernacular, in the Christian vernacular. A vowed celibate are those individuals who make a lifelong vow to remain single and maintain lifelong sexual abstinence as a means of living out their commitment to Christ. Today, we are perhaps most familiar with vowed celibates as nuns or priests or monks. These celibates vow to forego earthly marriage in order to participate more fully in the heavenly reality that is eternal union with Christ. I see a movement happening right now in the Protestant tradition where vowed celibates aren't people that live in monasteries, but actually live in the church. And we need to make a more robust way for them to thrive inside of the church. Now, the second um, sort of distinct callings for those who are single are dedicated celibates, which I think most of our church falls under. These are singles who have not necessarily made a lifelong vow to remain single, but who chose to refrain from sexual activity as long as they are single. Therefore, their commitment to celibacy is an expression of their commitment to Christ. For dedicated celibates, many desire to marry or are open to the possibility of marriage. They either may have not met the right person or are postponing marriage to pursue a career or additional education or whatever. 
They may be single because of a divorce or the death of a spouse. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 acknowledges all kinds, all of these kinds of dedicated celibates. Now, what I want to do right now is I want to go back to the question I asked a few minutes ago. How do you show up to your life as a single person, cultivate that life in ways that channel your sexuality well and your spirituality well? And I think to begin to answer that question, I would say for people who are single, you have to be intentional about the kind of single person God has called you to be and to start intentionally cultivating the kind of life that is truly life in that calling. For example, if you are a vowed celibate, I encourage you to start looking at ways that you can live the monastic life inside this city, inside this church. For those of you who are dedicated celibate, who are dedicated celibates, choosing to remain celibate as long as you are not married as a commitment to Christ, choosing that, and then choosing to cultivate a healthy singleness that doesn't look like your life is on hold. So that's what I want to explore for our remaining time. To do that, I want to bring up my good friend and colleague, Jessica Grisetsky. I hope I said that right. Um, her and I talk about how it's so hard for me to pronounce her last name, but I think I did it right, right? I nailed it, pretty much. Great. Um, she's on staff as our leadership and care support and support director, and she's single. Jess is uh, one of the most thoughtful people I've ever met who takes seriously the call to cultivate her life as a single woman and has committed not to put her life on hold just because she's not married. So I want to bring her out now and have a conversation about cultivating the single life. Would you welcome Jess G. Hey, buddy. Hi. Hold on, I'm going to suggest. Thank you. <laughs> I feel really loved. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, they love you a lot. You're known and loved. You ready for this? I'm ready. This is a really tall stool. <laughs> it's taller than actually I'm as tall as I am. Whatever. Oh, is that true? I think so. I don't know. We can, we can we'll, we'll test, test it, it later. later. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I want to talk about what it's like to be single in the church specifically, and what your thoughts on how we as a church can be helpful to our single friends. Great, so I am gonna start with a little bit of a negative thing, but I think one, it's funny and we need to laugh um, sometimes in humor in our life. Um, but I hope you can relate to things and I call this list uh, the five worst, most common things people have said to me as a single person. It's <laughs> a great way to start. So. Good, we're laughing, so it's great. Um, number one, what a gift. I wish I wasn't married sometimes. That's real? People have said that. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. Was it, was it Ashley Lomas? No. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, number two, you must not be satisfied with God enough yet. I bet once you are, God will bring you someone. Man, <laughs> I want it, names. Yeah. <laughs> um, in reference to dating, you are way too picky. They're a Christian and I'm a Christian. I don't really see what the problem is. <laughs> oh, cool. So you want a family and are single. Do you want to babysit my kids for free? <laughs> I, that happens a lot of it. It's fine if we have a relationship, just not a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and five, my personal cringeworthy favorite is, before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. Wow, these are supposed to be funny. <laughs> they're, they're funny and sad. They're cringeworthy, like they're you cringe-worthy. said. They're cringeworthy, they yeah, are, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so tell me a little bit more about like your experience being single. Sure. Okay. So in all honesty, um, <laughs> um, I'm so honored to be up here. So, but I am a 38-year-old Asian American woman. I was adopted. I was raised in a multi-ethnic family, and I'm currently unmarried, just trying to live my best single, dedicated, celibate life. <laughs> so. <laughs> Like you all, uh, I swim in a culture with each of you that says sexual experience and sexual fulfillment are the only way to experience life, that somehow we're disqualified from a full, rich life. And as a single person, I too have experienced the shadow side of idolization of marriage and the nuclear family that somehow communicates to single people that we are less whole, realized people and that we actually are never going to experience family or belonging. And... I live in the tension of desiring to be married, but also realizing that desire may never be fulfilled. It's a really weird tension. It can be really confusing sometimes where you're like, I desperately want this. I can't necessarily articulate why I want it, but I just do. And also there's like no control over that either. So it it gets really confusing. I also live in uh, the tension of navigating the ever awkward world of dating. And especially for me, it's around the intersection of racism, sexism, fetishism, ageism, and really any other ism as a female woman of color. So I also know too well the pain of biological motherhood dreams that are fading. And I know what it's like to sit in the deep grief and sadness and heartache of the changes of relationships so eloquently put in that quote you shared, too real, Mm. (laughs) Um, that sometimes when your closest friends seem to be getting married or having kids and they're on their first kid and then second and third and fourth, and somehow you feel like you're being left behind. And that's really confusing as well. And that heartbreak is really real. Mm. That's uh, that's really heavy stuff. Yeah. And I, I... Pastoring a lot of single people in our church, I know that you're not alone. I hear some of these yeah. things from, from other people as well. Talk to me a little bit about living open-handed mm-hmm. um, for what Jesus may have for you in life and holding on to the hope of uh, a desire that you have in your heart. How do you do both? Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, I realized that when I had a choice to live as the world had said lies to me, like all the things I outlined, that I had a choice that I spent a lot of years of my life putting my life on hold because I felt like I needed to accomplish all of these things and waiting around for a very small, specific part of my life that actually was not guaranteed. Mm. Or I actually could be open to what Jesus's vision is for my life. Mm. And that ends up being so much more than I could imagine. It's uh, meaningful, it can be rich, it can be full, and it's, I don't have to wait for it. Mm. It actually can happen today. It's like for the married people that happens today in our vocation and for the singles that invitation is for today. Mm. So as in reference uh, to our teaching earlier that Dave had is 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 36. He talks about living our life as if not. Mm. So it's also because the present form 
is passing away. So I'm like, we have no reason to put our life on hold. Yeah. Um, and so one of the most meaningful ways I have done that is actually living and believing into the belief that God is using my singleness as a prophetic sign of God's love. Wow. So I would agree also with that Schizera quote about that singleness shows kind of the breadth of God's love, but I think it's also way more profound than that. Um, singleness is prophetic because it's living into what is to come now, today. So in heaven um, and in the future, marriage won't be a thing. Singleness won't be a thing. Um, it's prophetic because we're living into what the kingdom could be like today. Mm. And so in order for us to do that well and to become a truly prophetic sign, we have to cultivate our singleness well really together. And so as a community, we have to be focused on living into the fruits of togetherness and also generativity together. Mm. So I, I hear you saying yeah. like the future, meaning like, you're going to be married to Christ in the future and you live in that reality today, yeah. like you're a prophetic. Yeah. So how does that work? <laughs> like that is a beautiful picture. And I think that like does something in the heart where like it arouses an imagination. Hmm. But how does, how do you do that? Like what's it look like on the ground? How does that work? <laughs> uh, it takes practice. <laughs> but <laughs> um, well, I found something that's been really helpful for me is going back to something we've learned early at the beginning of the year called the theory of change. And that's how we incorporate practices, community, the Holy Spirit, and community uh, all together by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to become more like Jesus. And so using this paradigm, um, I just want to outline with you guys today, is it takes intentionality around believing and telling myself the truth. Uh, it takes intentionality around the practices that I integrate into my single life. And it takes intentionality about the community that I devote myself to, all by the power of the Spirit. I love what you did there. I love how you mm -hmm. took that theory of change and like broke that out to cultivating a single life. Mm -hmm. So um, walk us through like what, what that looks like, like break it out, truth and practice and community in the Spirit. Like how does, how does that kind of paradigm how do you use that paradigm to cultivate the single life? Yeah. So using this, so focused on truth first, um, of all the lies that we might swim in and believe in our life that we're for, faced with, and sometimes we're just really swimming in that we can't really feel like we have no way out. We actually need God's truth to use it as a filter to kind of redeem and redefine truths about our lives. So using these truths, we actually can live as a single person knowing that we actually are fully realized humans. Hmm. We actually are able to thrive in communities. We actually are part of families that we actually belong. That we don't need another person to be our full selves. We actually don't, um, yeah, sorry. We also need our married friends. And our married friends and couples actually want us around. And in fact, that we really need each other. And actually, I also have a lot to offer if I show up authentically. Also, some of the like redeeming um, truth is kind of the vocation of singleness and the gifts that come with that. It's like, I also have time to discover um, the things that I want to steward well, which is other than submitting to my community and the Holy Spirit, I technically can do whatever I want <laughs> with <laughs> my time and my money. I can go on trips. I can travel. I can decorate however I want to, um, just really practically. <laughs> and with the wisdom of my community and prompting of the Holy Spirit, there are parts of my life I can co-captain without, with freedom of time and space. Um, I actually get to learn how to be truly at peace with myself. It is not an option for me to use a relationship to mask or hide some work that I have to do on myself. Oh. 
Yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, and, you know, I get to take time to work out my own identity, my theology, my preferences with freedom and autonomy. And I do not have to put my life on hold. Wow. So you, you use truth as a way of speaking to all the lies that sometimes surround your mind yeah. and your heart being single. Mm-hmm. That society kind of like paints and yeah. the romantic the romanticism <laughs> that's kind of everywhere. And yeah. you use that to really speak truth into your life about this is... This is what I'm called to. This is who I am in Christ. And this is, I'm a fully mm-hmm. formed human and I can step into with freedom, yeah. like all the opportunities that God has for me. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really important way to look at singleness, um, speaking truth to yourself. Um, tell me about practices. What kind of practices do you have yeah. as a single person? Great. These are so fun. So. Um, The practices that I can think of, I kind of divide them into two categories called abiding and boundaries. And so we'll go a little bit deeper into those, what I mean by that. And when I say abiding practices, these are things that bring me deep connection with God and intimacy with God. We need to take time to cultivate these, um, to cultivate our internal internal world in relationship to God and with each other's. So once we get to know ourselves, we actually get to know God better as well. So these are five things that that I've found helpful um, in the past years of focusing how to practice that. And so the first one is silence and solitude. So I wanted to get really good at hearing the Holy Spirit. Um, They've said that He's always speaking to us in many different ways. And I wanted to be able to distinguish his voice between any other voice in this world. Mm. And so that takes a lot of practice. Mm. Um, The next thing is something I've done with my life. It's called the rule of life. And it's a framework for freedom or a time where I intentionally look at my calendar and work in practices such as prayer, fasting, reading the word, any other kinds of spiritual disciplines that I can look at in my daily life, my weekly life, my monthly life, my quarterly life, basically in a year time span that I will intentionally focus on God. Hmm. I also had time to invest in therapy and spiritual direction. This is also how we relate to God and where God is in our everyday life. And also something we regularly practice here is something we call Emmanuel prayer. And that is the belief and knowing that God is with us at all times in all areas of our life. There's also something that we studied earlier this year, which is the emotionally healthy spirituality. And this is relationships centered around integrity, discovering things like family of origin, how to have difficult conversations, the ladder of integrity, and listening skills. So, yes, this take, stuff takes, like, so much time. Yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> you listed all these things. I'm like, I, I would imagine someone's like, who has time yeah. for this? Yeah, yeah. Well, I do. But yeah, I, yeah it's yeah. like you actually use yes. your time as a single person. Like, yes. no, I'm I'm investing my time here. Yes. Which yeah. I think is like a, such a gift. Yeah. I think it's what Paul is saying is like when you're married, you have to think about things of the world. Mm-hmm. Period. And when yeah. you're single, you can think of th- about the things of God. Yes. I think this is. I feel, I feel like we forget that. Yeah. Like single life is to be this devoted life where like mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the things of God. Even yeah. if, like. You're, you're a really hard worker and you work really hard, but I feel like you, you do this well and you do work well. So it's not yeah. like, oh, this is, yeah. this is what I do I for 40 a hours a yeah. week. Yeah. yeah, you have a lot. Yeah, you have a full life. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. devoted yourself to this. I yeah. think that's beautiful. I think the thing to remember too is that we actually get to do this and we, I wanted to steward my resources and my time really well. Yeah. 
And so the other thing I wanted to highlight is boundaries. And there's a couple things further in detail with the types of boundaries that we can instill in our life. But boundaries are what I mean by intentional time set aside for work, play, rest, and really whatever God wants to do. Um, as single people, we have some of the most discretionary time than any of our coupled brothers and sisters. And so we need to learn how to steward this time well. We actually need to learn how to say no. We need to learn how to say yes to things and often be open to what God might doing. So there are also some specific topics that I wanna kinda dive deeper into. And one of them is the dating boundary. So more on this tomorrow. Um, this is a great invitation for not necessarily just single people. Actually, we need our married and coupled friends to advocate and empathize with us. So this is a great invitation to show up tomorrow. Um, but also, one thing we must do is eliminate what I call the stand-in boyfriend and girlfriend otherwise known as snacking, or my personal favorite, <laughs> the emotional vampire. <laughs> These are new terms for me. Yes. Um. <laughs> so what I mean by stand-in is someone who temporarily fills the position of boyfriend and girlfriend until a legitimate relationship or opportunity presents itself. Hmm. So this basically means you get all of the emotional and sometimes physical uh, satisfaction without the commitment. And so we must resist the urge to do this and continue to honor and serve each other in that way. Um, and we can do that by being honest and openly communicating that in our boundaries. Um, I also really loved what Melissa said in her sermon about reclaiming the friend zone. Yes. Yeah. And so this practically means that we're highly aware of the line of friendship and versus using someone. Mm. And so also this doesn't mean that, okay, I, it's too hard to be friends with the opposite sex, so I just need to like give up and only be friends with like females. And I'm like, no, actually, we are missing out on an opportunity for the kingdom to be reflected in our relationships. Yeah, right. And there is something that I get from my guy friends that show me how to see the world that I appreciate and I'm so grateful for, that I would miss out on that just because it was a little too hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So um, there's also freedom in knowing our own personal boundary. When if it's too hard in those relationships and friendships, we have the right to voice our concerns and say, hey, this is not healthy for me. I actually need to just step away and create some space. So. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, another type of boundary I want to highlight is the emotional boundaries. And this is where we can create emotional intelligence and awareness within ourselves and in relation to each other. So for example, I have been 15 times a bridesmaid, never a bride yet. Which means I've probably been in like half of your weddings. You know? <laughs> it's so true. So, but also if I haven't been in them, that probably means I've attended them because I've yeah. been to over 40 plus weddings and invitations are still coming in. So... I love these invitations. <laughs> yeah, like, I do. <laughs> but honestly, sometimes I have to hold each one of a wedding shower, a wedding, a bachelorette party, a bridal shower, a baby shower for your multiple children, which I love. Sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, yeah. So I really need discernment and wisdom and how to approach those invitations. There have been times that it is too difficult and painful for me to attend that it actually gives me a creative way to serve you and you and I to have a better friendship and relationship if I can do something outside of joining the large mass scale celebration. Yeah. And so also done well in that, we actually can gain deeper relationships and understanding. So also, in the emotional boundaries too, I think it comes with asking permission from our single brothers and sisters to talk about our dating lives. Yes. I mean, honestly, sometimes 
I don't want to talk about it, and I actually think that there's more to my life than just dating. Um, but I also, too, as that person who's asked that question, I need to communicate clearly my thoughts and intentions and emotions as well. And so we need wisdom and discernment and respect in these conversations. Mm. Um, another type of boundary, which I really love, is called cultivating joy. And so that's making time for self-care. And these boundaries help us protect the time in order to do that in our community. So some of the things that motivate me, I ask the questions, what restores and replenishes my soul? And what fills me with delight? So my coworker Jason once told me this life-changing quote from Plato that says, you can discover more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. And I'm like, who doesn't want to be known as fun, but also love to play, but also I want to be known in that deep way of how I play is also in the other areas of my life. So I want to be able to cultivate it that well. I also have really highly protective times of intentional solitude, rest, and Sabbath. But I also have intentional times with community that feel really special and extravagant. This is where I get to be creative with my friends and my community to find supernatural meaning in our actual playtimes. And so for me, this is something I like to call meat, sweat, dinners. (laughs) Those persons probably come to mind. So Um, these are big extravagant dinners with friends that are married, coupled, single, where we come together. They are usually around a meat dish because whatever. What's meat sweat? It's like the thing that happens when you eat like too much steak. So, sorry, sorry, vegetarians. We can have fish. When you have too much zucchini, they get it. (laughs) Yeah, they get it. Yeah. Um, But these are intentional times that we come together to celebrate and honor one another in our friendship. And we have this rule that you have to bring two things that you want to celebrate in your life that have nothing to do with work and nothing to do with the relationship Mm -hmm. status. So we actually get really creative at honoring one another in that. Wow, that's all. That's all so good. Like all the intentionality that that um, that you go through with your personal like devotion to God, and then even in your community. Is there any other sort of like ways that you're intentional around community? Um, you, all, you, all, you already told us about kind of meat sweats. Is there any other like gross names you give to? It's okay. Out our with next community? one's ribs, so you can come to that one. Um, uh, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, In community, uh, I regularly practice hospitality. I often surround myself where I can gain perspective in my relationships or experiences. And also, it's doing something that I cultivate called your home team. And so in community, we practice hospitality regularly, which means we make space for other people. This looks like for me to maybe cook extra dinner and invite people over, or intentionally set aside time in my week of like one to two blocks of time where I can spontaneously be available to somebody I might meet or connect with a friend that needs it. Um, It's really setting margin in my life. Um, I can also, if you guys know me, I walk everywhere. And so I do that to create margin so that I might meet somebody on the street that might need something or I might be available to somebody else in my community. Um, And it's really about the art of serving other people. The next thing uh, that I do in community is gaining perspective. And so I do this with the belief that proximity breeds empathy. So I often ask myself, who's around my dinner table? Um, Because this should be a really group, uh, diverse people. Are they mostly people my own age? I mean, I love people my own age, but I want to hang out with other people too. 
are they the same gender? Because we actually need men and women in our lives to create, uh, to reflect the kingdom of God. Yeah. Are they of the same ethnicity and culture? Are they the same relationship status? And what are some of the topics of conversation that we're engaging in? Are they diverse? So we must be open uh, with our minds and our hearts with the belief that diversity provides fertile soil for God to work. Yeah. So with this, we can get really good at inserting our lives into other people's lives as if they were our own. And we need to get really good at advocating for one another. We need people who are good at sitting with each other in our pain and our suffering. And we also need our team to cheer us on in all kinds of celebrations, mm -hmm. which leads me to building your home team. So I call this seeking and cultivating companions for the journey. So I have learned over the years what it takes to form and cultivate deep, loyal, and diverse friendships. So these people help me cultivate hope from their diverse perspectives and across genders and marital statuses. My home team helps me steward my time and money. They know my calendar. They hold me accountable to the things I've committed to. They know my bank statements. They know how much money I make. <laughs> and they help me foster a life of generosity. So they help me plan for retirement or things that I've been putting on hold for silly reasons, like possibly a partner. <laughs> they help me build and foster values that I want to build my life around and actually lead me to helping build a legacy that I want to leave long after that I'm gone. My home team is there for me in emergencies. That emergency contact story was me because I love that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. I shared a couple weeks ago, that's right. But also my home team, like for example, last week my car broke down and I knew five people on speed dial that I could call immediately that would drop anything to come and help me. And they would actually show up. So this might also look like my married friends and coupled friends. They are helping me discover what a joy a kidless mom and dad could be. This is you guys integrating me into the family life of your families. It's normal, and I'm like, we need each other, and I need you. So we belong to one another. Mm. That's so good. Uh, so I'm just like <laughs> lost in this whole thing because I think it's like, I think of, uh, I, hope, I hope our church is getting a, a vision of the intentionality that you, mm. can, you can actually live your life with the intentionality that is only reserved for married people. Typically, right? Yeah. Like, oh, married people, they have to get all of that stuff together, emergency yeah. contacts and, yeah. and have people they decide things with and have to, with their spouse and whatever. And the married people just kind of like, oh, I'll just do what I want. Yeah. But it's like actually creating this mm -hmm. uh, team of people that are committed to your life in very intentional ways. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, all of this is beautiful and it's, it's like a lot. It's a whole <laughs> lot. How... How do you do it? How do you, how do you, how do we become this kind of community? I think we need to recognize that through all of this, we need the Holy Spirit. He is the only one that can empower us to be able to be sensitive and aware of how to do that. This isn't just like a checklist of things to do. This is actually our dependence upon God. Yeah. What do you want to leave our, our church with? Like, what was the thing that you've also, you've imparted so much, but what do you want our church to know about uh, single people and married people, what do you want to leave our, our church with? Cool. Um, lots. <laughs> so first, I want to encourage you, church, that you have provided this kind of community for me. So thank you for doing that. Um, you've created experiences where the goodness of God in his richness and fullness is so real. And for me, I love practicality. So loving me in such practical ways, um, we get a chance to do that. 
And also I want to speak to those who are in different uh, ways and parts of their journey in singleness and marriage. And so to the men and women who I have the honor of sitting with every week, who are in your 30s and 40s, who have not yet had a significant relationship, you might just need your community to tell you that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. And so to those of you who have experienced racial bias or the plethora of microaggressions that occur from being single and a person of color, I hear you. <laughs> and that's either in your daily life, in your dating life, or your community. You need us to tell you as your church that there's no shame or blame. That we're here to sit with you and advocate for you and share that burden of that weight. And you might need your community to tell you that, that this is not the way of Jesus and that's not okay. And to the young and old widows of our church that I get to sit with, you who've had to bear your spouses way too soon and you find yourself single again, you need your diverse community to remind you and instill in you and inspire you that your life is still so full of purpose. Mm. And to the divorced brothers and sisters in our church who believe that they are not worthy of second chances. Often these men and women and sometimes single parents, you need our support and our care and our advocacy. And you might need us as your diverse community to tell you that you have not failed at life. Mm. So to my married community, you continue to invite me and us into your marriages. We're talking about raising kids and finances and your sex lives and integrating extended families are the norm. You can provide this great insight and expectation to your single community and actually diligently and presently uproot seeds of bitterness and hurt in your single community. We have to keep going. And to all of us, when we bring our authentic story to the table and live vulnerably and generously with one another, we're living into a future kingdom and a future reality. This is where all of us are with Jesus as one as he is with the Father. When we live like this, we're actually living into our prayer for Jesus to make San Francisco like it is in heaven. Mm. So you as my community, also thank you. You help me focus on Christ. You help me anchor my true identity in Christ before any other identity that the world imposes on us. And the invitation is for all of us to be the giver or receiver, or probably both, of these sacred spaces as a safe place for us to cultivate our singleness well. I'm so proud of you, Jess. Thank you. <laughs> I, I've been... <laughs> I have... Uh been waiting for our church to learn from you on this and I just could not wait to get to this uh this time where I didn't know it would be like this format mm. um but I'm glad it, it turned into this format but um for for a few months in preparing for this uh series um learning from your story you would drop hints mm. uh and talk about this just in your everyday kind of way you live and I love learning from you about cultivating the single life. You've done a really good job. You love intensely. You love intentionally. <laughs> and um, I think it's a beautiful thing. Would you pray for us? Would you stand? Absolutely. Let's, um... Yeah, let's stand. Holy Spirit, we want more of you. We desire to come and give us fresh vision for our kingdom as we learn to live out how to be active participants, single or married, in your kingdom work. I pray a blessing for those who are struggling with deep heartache and longing. Would you meet them there? Would they experience you in such a way that they are never the same? 
I pray for those who are content in their singleness. Lord, would you continue to give them vision and inspire them to use their gifts and lives as a loud gospel message of your love. I pray for the marriages in this church. Would you inspire families in new ways to cultivate safe spaces for single people? And Lord, you see us, you know us. Help us to help one another bring all of ourselves and what we have at your feet. Help us to cultivate our lives well. This teaching was recorded live at Reality San Francisco. And as a part of our weekly gatherings, we move from teaching to responding to the Holy Spirit through prayer and a time of ministry. It's hard to capture that on a podcast, but we encourage you to pause and consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to respond to what you've just heard. For more resources and details of how to join us on Sundays, please visit realitysf.com. May the peace of Christ be with you.